listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and it's going to be found on page 1 in your pew Bible. This is just after the record that God has created all kinds of animals and filled the seas. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dan. I'm sitting in my office on Monday afternoon, and we had a slight mishap with the recording yesterday, the sermon recording. My mic was actually turned off for the first few minutes of the message, so we didn't get that portion recorded, unfortunately. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to record the first chunk of the sermon that was missed, and then we will pick back up with the recorded message when it kicks in. So uh, when you hear an audio transition and suddenly my voice sounds different, more roomy, uh, that's what's going on. So let's dive in. The title of this message is Deconstructing Dominion. I almost called it How Not to Read Genesis, but I think that sounds kind of arrogant, Like, who am I to tell you all how to read or not read the book of Genesis? So yeah, Deconstructing Dominion, I think, is a way better title. Um, It's one of those sermon titles that is uh, short and to the point. It's lofty but vague. Plus, there's alliteration, so bonus. I do want to talk about this title a bit before we dive in, because I think it's important to understand what it is we're doing today. We're in this series looking at the book of Genesis. And I mentioned last week that Genesis is a book that has been used in some pretty destructive ways. And we're going to look at an example of that today, and we're going to deconstruct it. Now, deconstruction is a fancy philosophical word for taking an idea and re-examining it, testing it, often by taking it apart and seeing if we can put the pieces back together again. Teenagers do a lot of deconstruction. Part of growing up and becoming a mature, functional adult is learning to take your assumptions, uh, the stuff you probably received from your parents, and challenging it, testing it, figuring out if it works apart from the little bubble in which you were raised. That's deconstruction. 
Deconstruction, by the way, is not the same thing as rejection. We're not rejecting dominion. We're deconstructing it. Sometimes even good ideas can get so twisted and misused over time that people end up rejecting them outright, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And so deconstruction becomes a way to redeem those lost ideas. And that's what I'm hoping to do today with the concept of dominion. Dominion is a theological idea that comes out of our passage for today. Genesis 1, the creation story. We're in the sixth day of creation. God has already formed the heavens and the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, the birds and the fish. And now God creates animals and human beings. And the text tells us that when God creates human beings, God makes us in his image and gives us dominion, gives us some sort of power or authority over the rest of creation. And therein lies the problem. This granting of dominion has been used and abused in some downright dreadful ways throughout both Jewish and Christian history. The obvious offender for our day is, is probably ecological destruction, um, stuff like pollution, deforestation, overconsuming natural resources, climate change. But that's just one recent example. Dominion theology is also how you arrive at ideas like colonization and manifest destiny. When European explorers first arrived on the shores of, of Africa and the Americas, they found a land which to them seen, seemed undeveloped and underutilized. And so they believed it was their God-given duty to tame that land, to develop it, build on it, take possession of it. Exercising their dominion with little to no regard for the indigenous peoples that already lived there. There are a lot of ways that the concept of dominion has been misused throughout history, but today we're going to look at the one that started it all. Before colonialism, before climate change, even before the time of Christ. And it's something that might be less obvious to us when we take this text at face value, but I want to examine how dominion has been used to exploit women. Because believe it or not, that really is the root of all these other misuses. We're going to get a little in the weeds today. Uh, we're going to talk about some translation issues, fun stuff like debates over grammar. And if you're someone who isn't really into that kind of stuff, I feel your pain. But at the same time, if you're someone who values women, you should find something of value, hopefully, in this message. So let's dive in. We're in Genesis 1, and as we read this text, there are certain patterns that stand out to us. God creates something, then God calls it good, then we get evening and morning, and the process repeats itself. God creates something, God calls it good, evening and morning, rinse, repeat. There's a flow to this passage. But then we hit verse 27, and we get this poem stopping us dead in our tracks. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three lines of poetry crammed right in the middle of the creation story. Now, this is jarring. This breaks the flow of the passage. If you're like reading along and you do that classic Bible reading move, where you kind of start skimming because it's a really familiar passage, this poem will stop you dead in your tracks. You're going to notice this, and that's by design. 
there are a few interesting things going on in this poem. For one, you have the repetition of the word created. Three times. Created, created, created. We've been reading about creation for 26 verses, but now here in verse 27, we get this emphasis, this repetition. Almost as if the entire creation story has been leading to this moment. There's also a really tricky translation issue here, and it's led to a debate that's been going on literally for centuries. People have been arguing over how to read this poem for almost as long as Genesis has been a book. The issue isn't even really one of translation, it's more about meaning. The text here in the original language is vague and a bit confusing. And the issue comes down to how we understand these two words humankind and them. Now, is anyone following along in their Bibles by chance? A few people. A few people have Bibles. All right, awesome. If you have a different translation, it might say something other than humankind and them here. I'm curious. When you look at verse 27, does anyone have something other than humankind and them? This is NRSV, so it's going to match what's in your few Bibles, but it's all humankind and them? Okay, I'll spill the beans. In some translation, translations, the first two lines of this poem read, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. And therein lies the debate. Is this passage granting the image of God and the dominion that comes along with that to human beings as a whole or to man? And our answer to this question makes a huge difference. If it's human beings, as in men and women, all of us, and this passage is making quite a statement, a statement that would have been radical in its day. You see, image of God was a very familiar phrase in the ancient world, but it applied to kings. In the ancient Near East, the context of the Old Testament, places like Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, the king was called the image of God. The king was considered the living embodiment of the gods before the people, essentially like a living, breathing idol. That gave the king tremendous power, obviously. But if all people are image bearers of divine, if this applies to everyone, then that takes this hierarchical concept and really democratizes it. On the other hand, if this line only applies to mankind, that is, to men, then this poem becomes potentially bad news for women. Because if men are made in God's image, but women are not, then this special status, this dominion, would fall only on men. And then when God grants his image bearers dominion over the other animals, that would presumably give men dominion over women. Do you see how that could be a bit of a problem? Oh, yeah, there we go. And that latter interpretation, men, not humanity, is exactly how, how many people have read this verse for centuries. Before the time of Jesus, rabbis were debating the meaning of this text. In some branches of Judaism, there's actually a prayer that's said by men every morning that includes the line, Blessed are you, O God, for not making me a Gentile or a woman. And that goes back to this. If men are made in the image of God, but women are not, 
then there is something about men that is fundamentally godlike and something about women that is fundamentally unlike God. And it's not much of a stretch from there to justify the domination of men by women. This is a really important issue, especially today in the cultural moment we find ourselves. Is everyone here familiar with the Me Too movement? Is anyone who hasn't heard of this? I'll fill you in a little bit. Uh, Me Too is a movement on social media that's been going on for about a year now. It really picked up steam in October of last year. And it's this movement of women coming forward on social media to share testimonies about how they have been sexually harassed, assaulted, or otherwise exploited by men. And these incredibly brave women, they tag their testimonies, Me Too, which is an act of solidarity with other victims, but it's also a way to point out how widespread this evil is still today in our society. Now, more recently, a parallel movement has sprung up on social media called Church Too, with Christian women, although not all Christian women, it's um, probably some non-Christian women as well, sharing stories of how they have been abused, mistreated, or otherwise dominated by men in the church. And as a pastor, I find these testimonies particularly crushing. Stories about men in positions of power, uh, pastors, teachers, leaders, using their authority, their clerical position, to exploit women and cover up their crimes often while providing some kind of theological or biblical justification for their actions. It makes me sick. The question of how we read verses like this and how we understand dominion is incredibly timely and relevant. So let's dig into this verse a little bit deeper and see if we can figure out what's going on here. Now in this poem... Verse 27, the word being translated as either humankind or man is the Hebrew word Adam. Now, Adam can be a proper name, Adam, like the guy we're going to meet in chapter 2 of Genesis, but it can also refer to humankind, human beings collectively. And Adam can also be referred to, can be used to refer to a single person, a single human being, usually a male. Adam is the same word uh, used in verse 26 when God gives human beings, plural, dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the land. And this plural sense of Adam is reinforced again in the third line of the poem uh, in verse 27 when God creates Adam male and female. So it would make a lot of sense to translate Adam here as human beings, plural, That would fit nicely with the rest of the passage. The problem is that the pronoun in the second line is singular. In the image of God, he created him. Now, it's worth noting that pronouns in Hebrew don't convey gender in quite the same way as English pronouns do. So there's some flexibility here. But the men who have read and interpreted this passage throughout history have not often drawn on that flexibility. You have to make a call here for this passage to make any sense. We've got a a seemingly plural noun paired with a singular pronoun. Grammar, fascinating. Either we shift Adam to singular, breaking the flow of the passage and going with man, the man, 
with all the nasty implications that brings. Or we take this singular pronoun and make it plural, fixing the poet's grammar. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm given a firm choice between option A or option B and told that it has to be one of these, my first inclination is always to look for option C. Is it possible that the poet who comprised this verse actually meant to write it this way? Is there something deeper being said here? Looking at the context here, you might ask a question like, is there any precedent up to this point in the text for blurring the lines between singular and plural? Has this text at any other point up to now used singular pronouns to describe plural nouns or vice versa? We're only at verse 27 of the Bible, so we don't have that far to look. And lo and behold, we don't have to look far at all. Reading from Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. God, who is one, uses plural pronouns to describe God's self. Now, the early church used this as an argument for the Trinity, which I don't think is what um, the Jewish community that produced this book was really going for. (laughs) Um, But it is interesting. There's something about God in God's bigness, in God's scale, that a singular pronoun just can't quite cut it. And so maybe it's appropriate that when God creates human beings in our diversity, in our complexity, in our seeming bigness, male and female, rich and poor. The text describes humanity in the singular as one. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created it, or him, or whatever pronoun you'd use to describe humankind as one entity. Male and female, he created them. I'll take option C, please. Humanity as one, male and female, made in God's image. It's when we are one, acknowledging the divine likeness in all people and refusing to dominate others, that we collectively bear the image of God. Of all the ways dominion has been misused, it kind of boils down to this. It starts with the exploitation of women. Once men deem women less than human, it's only a matter of time before we start doing the same thing to people of other races, other cultures, other places. Even when we exploit nature, there's a strong parallel with the exploitation of women. To get at that, I want to share this quote from Mark Gerzen. He's an activist who specializes in global leadership and conflict mediation. And something this guy wrote teases out the connection between our exploitation of women and our exploitation of the land. He writes it a lot more succinctly than I can. Here's what he has to say. Once the land had been won, it was treated like a fallen woman. The wilderness once conquered was no longer wild. The virgin land once used lost her innocence. We we treat the land neither reverently as our mother nor chivalrously as a virgin, but contemptuously. I need to see if there's any kids here. (laughs) 
as if she were no better than a whore. We rape her, that being the land, and when we are done, we leave her and our wastes behind. There is a common impulse, a common sin between our exploitation of, of nature and the patriarchal urge to, to dominate and exploit women. Just as sexism teaches women to find their value and their self-worth through a man, so often, or so also, we abuse our dominion over nature when we assume that the land only has its value from its connection to us, what we can make out of it. But that's not what Genesis is getting at when human beings are given dominion. God grants dominion to human beings right smack between the creation of animals and the providing of food for all living things, all that stuff about seed. And that's got to be deliberate, that placement. Our call to dominion has to do with working together as one people to sustain and care for God's creation. To make sure that no one goes without, human or animal. To make sure that there is plenty to go around to everyone. That everyone receives what they need. You were created in the image of God. The God who is love. And this God who created the universe out of love, who blesses the earth and calls it good, invites all of us to participate in the stewardship of creation, male and female. May we remember that dominion is a call to oneness, a call to be one in our diversity and our complexity just as God is one. And may we always exercise that dominion out of love for God the earth, and other people. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.